Welcome to the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. We're going to explore ways to sharpen our diagnostic skills, find learning resources, and hear from experts in the automotive field. Hey, what's going on, automotive world? Welcome to another episode of the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. My name is Sean Tipping, and I'll be your host once again for today's show. This week, John Miller is going to join me. John is a Lexus technician at a Lexus dealership in Indianapolis. And we're going to sit down, talk about him getting into the industry, some of his experiences at Lexus. We'll talk a little bit about some problem cars and some challenges and some of the great things about doing what we do in this industry. Just as a reminder, um, I do have uh, Mike Christofferson's EEPROM and programming class coming up this June, June 3rd and 4th in the Twin Cities, Minnesota area. A number of you have reached out and signed up. We've got a few more seats left. So if you're interested, use the email that is in the show notes to reach out to me and I can send you all the details and get you signed up for the class. But other than that, let's jump into the interview. Well, good morning, John. Thanks for taking some time out of your day to join me here. Thanks for having me. It's actually exciting. Yeah. uh, You reach out to me, listen to the podcast, uh, and I have encouraged and I do encourage people to do that. Um, I'm happy to talk to anybody who's passionate and excited about doing this sort of stuff and in the automotive industry, um, getting some different perspectives and hearing from also, you know, people that have similar experiences to mine and other listeners, right? People have messaged me and said, Hey, I heard that episode with whoever that was on a technician and I really related to, you know, their experience and what they had to say. So it's all, it's always good to hear uh, people that are kind of going through the same thing that you yeah. are, you know? Yeah. That's actually what got me, uh, wanting to reach out to you. Cause I heard a couple of your interviews about some of the guys and, uh, how they got into this business and and how their uh careers kind of panned out and stuff and i was like you know mine's similar but it's really different too at the same time um just because of how late i got into it and uh, just where i was in my life at that time okay uh where are you at in the country uh indianapolis indiana okay awesome right awesome. right Close to downtown, about 15 minutes east of downtown Indianapolis. Gotcha. All right. Um, and you work at a Toyota dealership? Uh, Lexus. Lexus. Okay. Yep. All right. Yep. Awesome. I work at Lexus. Uh, been there I, the entire time, actually. I almost worked for a Lexus dealership. That was in, what year would that have been? 2011. I, th- I almost started there. So it was actually that between that and Firestone, I was trying to pick between the two and I really wasn't sure. It was more like a flip of a coin, mm-hmm. which direction I was going to go. And I, I picked Firestone because I had been in the independent world prior. And I was like, I don't know if I want to work on the same car or same car line every day. And yeah. I was, I was a little concerned about warranty work. Um, and so 
I ended up going to Firestone, but yeah, it was close. And they were telling me, I don't know, you can tell me if it's like this. They did like a team pay setup at Lexus where uh, you have a group of people. So when we first, when I first started uh, as an hourly, we, they had a team pay setup. So they had separate teams and the teams worked together. And what those three guys, two guys made for the two weeks would get split between everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the time I went flat rate, uh, they had actually done away with that. We still have teams, um, but everyone's hours is their own. So oh, okay. it, it okay. kind of makes it more competitive yeah. doing it that way. But there was a lot of guys who would slack off quite a bit, went through uh-huh. a lot. And then the guys who were like busting their ass just wouldn't like they'd get upset and be like, you know what? Why am I working so hard when the guy next to me is barely working yeah and he's making just as much as i am Uh uh-huh uh-huh so they they ended up doing away with that just before i became flat rate which i'm kind of happy about because i'm not i'm a competitive person but i enjoy seeing my uh production like how hard i work i see that in my checks Mm -hmm. and so i'm not sharing that with someone else yeah that's nice that's, I mean, that's the upside to flat rate, right? Because yeah. there's some definite downsides to it. But if you're a top producer, you can hustle. It's a good thing for you. Uh, yeah. And you can make a lot of money that way. Yeah. Um, but, you know, obvious, obvious downsides to it is like you say, the competitiveness and it encourages you to just focus on yourself and not members of a team and not helping other people out because that's taking money out of your pocket. So why would you do that? Right. And so the shop as a whole could potentially suffer from that if you have the wrong mix of people. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for that individual that can really hustle, knows what they're doing, has a good attitude, boy, flat rate is is fantastic because your effort is reflected on your paycheck. Yeah, um, definitely. And honestly, like uh, where I work, the uh, atmosphere is really good. Our team leads uh, – are all I'm one of the team leads <clears throat> and most of our team leads like you go to your team lead if you need a second hand you need help with diagnosing something mm-hmm. and the majority of the time yeah we'll stop and we'll help you out and for me personally I like teaching so yeah like when they're like hey can you help me with this okay have you done ABC yet what have uh-huh. you found okay let me come over and I'll help you out it affects my pay a little bit yeah but I just enjoy being able to teach them that stuff too and be like, okay, now next time you don't need to come to me because you'll Uh see it yourself. Sure. Yeah. That was, that was my experience with helping people too is as a tech, I just, I enjoyed it and it made the whole morale of the shop better too. You know, when you're willing to um, give somebody a hand when they need it, well, you're probably going to need a hand at some point too, even if it's just lifting something or, Hey, can you hit the, the key in this thing so it'll crank and and just little stuff like that it's nice to have people that are you know working together so taking those few minutes out of your day i I think is worth it but again you know back to the flat rate thing it doesn't encourage that in any way no and so um that's where I, i guess i could see you know something like a like a team pay setup helping to encourage that but you said they did away with it at at lexus so it must have not been yeah, they had effective. it around for a while, um, but yeah, probably 
about six months before I went flat rate, they ended up doing away with it because there were too many people complaining about it and stuff. Sure, sure. Cool. Um, how did you get involved with, uh, or how did you end up working at a Lexus dealership? So it's so slightly a funny story. Uh, I got into the field when I was 27. Um, okay. So I was a delivery driver before that for uh, a pizza place. Okay. Um, so and I was like the paper boy of that. Like you, the delivery drivers you see driving sixty miles an hour everywhere to get to their stop and get back. That that was me. Beat up <laughs> car at a two thousand Civic, no exhaust. Thing was loud as ever. Um, but my wife had just gotten out of school, and we had two kids at the time, mm-hmm. and I was like, you know what, I I want to get into school. I want to get started with something. And I had been fixing both of our cars up using YouTube a lot. Um, so I, was, I considered myself YouTube master certified, <laughs> whatever I could <laughs> yeah, find on there. Yeah, they have a patch there. for that, I think. Yeah, yeah. I could, I could, if I could find a patch, I, I would put it on. <laughs> so I, I was enjoying that. I was like, wow, this is really fun. So I'll try to get into this. And so I went to the community college uh, over here, and it was kind of like... It, it was partially luck, I would say, that the way my career has come about. Uh, when I interviewed for it, because I went to a T10 program, uh, so you have to do this like, interview and take a little test just to see if you know enough to actually go through the program. Okay. Um, when I did that, I had a week to get like all situated set up to get in class. Um, otherwise, I was going to have to wait another year. And I was like, I, I can't wait a year. That's that's a long time for me. Right. Um, so I got all situated, and it's a co-op program. So eight weeks in class, eight weeks in a shop. And it had to be a Toyota or Lexus dealership. So I applied to multiple multiple different places. And, I, and annoyingly, like every week, I went to all those dealerships. I was like, hey, have you seen my resume? Hey, have you seen my resume? Mm-hmm. Pretty sure the guy got annoyed enough to finally talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> and so I got a spot at Lexus as a porter at first. So I was just pulling cars out, parking them. <laughs> but he, uh, I, I pretty much annoyed him to a point so he could uh, get me back into the shop and working with people, working in the cars and whatnot and finally like after about a month and a half i finally got into the shop working as an hourly doing express lube and stuff like that so okay uh and i was in i was like i had eight weeks from when i started class to get into a spot and i had like by the time i got into a spot uh even as a porter i i had like two weeks of class left so i just barely got a spot in there to keep going nice um and i got lucky with it too like my instructor was a previous uh he owned his own shop as doing electrical diagon cars for 20 some odd years yeah um very passionate about electrical work and stuff like that uh and he he was absolutely amazing with it and it really hooked me onto the electrical aspect of it as okay. well Oh. So, so did you learn most of your electrical skills through that program then? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. They had electrical one, two, and three. So dealing with 
everything from the basics, Ohm's Law, stuff like that, to uh, can high, can low diagnostics, um, which he was fantastic on that stuff and, and teaching, and that made me want to learn more. So I did a lot of uh, studying after school till like, uh, like 3 a.m., falling asleep <laughs> on my chair with a nice. book in my lap. <laughs> um, but he actually ended up switching, uh, retiring partway through schooling. Okay. And uh, I got another instructor who came from uh, aftermarket, and I think I believe it was Firestone that he worked at as well. Okay. Um, and he was just a genius with alignment stuff. Like mm. he just he knew that stuff, SAI and IA, uh, how to just look at it and be like, okay, that's bent. Yeah. Right, <laughs> just right. by looking at numbers, like <laughs> it's like wow. I definitely want to be like that. I've known guys like that that can do that with alignment stuff. And I mean, I could, I could get through an alignment. I did plenty of them at, at Firestone, but I was never quite that level where I could tell what's, what's broken or what's bent just by looking at the angles. Yeah. Yeah. Like when I was finishing a class, like I could do that pretty well. I've kind of lost that ability since then because we do our own alignments, but it's, a lot of newer cars. There's very few things are right. usually bent, so I don't normally well, look at it. All the jam nuts come loose without a torch and everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. For the most part, for the most part, we do have our acetylene torch for uh, the older 2000s and and whatnot when they are really stuck. Oh yeah, yeah. You're still in the rust belt down there, so I'm sure yeah. you get plenty yeah. of it. <laughs> I actually ended up uh, getting uh, some welding. Uh, instruction done after school and oh, nice. uh, yeah so I, we report we repair uh generally is and gs exhausts uh they mm. tend to leak in a few spots that cause uh uh o2 sensor codes oh and between the two sensors there's a leak yeah like just behind the o2 sensor it'll usually leak Okay. Um, and so we'll go and just repair the exhaust there and fix it. So that way they don't have to spend a couple grand replacing the entire exhaust piece. Sure. Oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's fooled many, uh, technicians having that little, uh, that leak, that pinhole leak in between the two. And then depending on the construction, you could potentially replace the cat and then still have the problem. Yeah. Some of them you may, by replacing the cat, you might fix the leak, but others not. And then you still got a problem and ended up, it was just a little, just a little, <laughs> a little exhaust like that. <laughs> that that's uh one thing that I, uh, I wish I had better skills with too, is welding. Uh, I took some welding courses in high school and actually in college and I did a little bit of it, but there was not a single shop I ever worked at that had a welder. This Firestone didn't want one for whatever reason. Corporate said, you know, safety stuff. I don't know. And then the other shop that I worked at was it was it was a gas station, a little two bay shop. But we were probably I don't know, maybe twenty feet from the pump, from the exit of our first bay door. And yeah. so actually you had to watch if you were backing out a car, if then there was somebody parked at the pump, like you couldn't back out. Um, <laughs> I remember one of the service, uh, like the loop guys backed out into the Napa car one time, but anyways, <laughs> we were so close to the pump that what are the safety regulations? We couldn't have an acetylene torch or we couldn't have a welder. And, um, 
So we had to do everything with mass maps gas there, which was awful. Um, but anyways, I never got good at welding. Um, I can, you know, limp my way through something, but if, if anybody looks at it and they know how to weld, uh, be like, wow, that's terrible. (laughs) Trust me. I'm, I'm, I am decent, far from good. Mm -hmm. I do good enough that, uh, I can do my job, but, uh, I'm far from any professional welder or somebody who welds a ton all the time. Like, yeah, no, it's a, it's a whole other skill set, and it's impressive the people that can do it really well and yeah. do the TIG welding and stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. We have a program at the college for welding, and um, the instructor, she's obviously she's phenomenal at it, but uh, she came down, and I forget exactly what it was, but we needed something welded on aluminum. And she came down with the the TIG welder and did it. And it was just it was super impressive, the skill set in order to do that. Just like all the muscle memory that's involved. Oh, yeah. And it, it, just watching people weld. There's a, so there's four of us in our shop out of we, – we have a fairly big shop. We've got about – with hourly – our hourlies, we have about 25 guys in our shop. Okay. Um, four of us know how to weld. Okay. Uh, two of which who are much better than me. Um, so anytime I can get a chance, if they're welding something, I'll step over there and kind of watch them because uh-huh. they they just do a phenomenal job. I'm like, wow, how am I not there yet? <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember taking my weld. Or it was it was called metals was the class in high school. I remember taking that. That was my first introduction to it, and it was it was so much fun just because you're doing you know, stuff with this high powered equipment so that you never experienced before. And I remember, um, the stick welder was my favorite. Well, actually the plasma cutter was probably my favorite, but the <laughs> stick welder I really liked because after you were done, you get to smash all the slag off of it. And like, yeah, it just felt like you were doing something manly, you know? <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. When we were, uh, when I was going through, it was like a little week long training class for, MIG welding, there were people doing stick welding and TIG welding. I'm watching them. They're just banging away at stuff. And I'm like, I want to do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> looks more fun. But yeah, so uh, I ended up actually getting the welding stuff from uh, my service manager. He ended up seeing, and then as he put it, uh, it was an investment. I, uh-huh. I was an investment for him. Okay. So anytime I could increase my skills or add a skill set to the shop, he was very inclined to be like, hey, I'll pay for it. Go ahead. Do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have uh, diagnostic specialists as well who uh, also saw uh, me as an investment and used me hand in hand for about six months. I got off of the express lube. Six months before I uh, was supposed to go flat rate, and I worked with him hand-in-hand with the vehicles that no one else in the shop either wanted to deal with because they were too difficult, or they were brand-new cars that were having issues that no one really knew what the problem was. Okay. Um, So I got a lot of hands-on with that stuff from him uh, uh, before I got out of school, so that really helped me out as well. That's uh, cool. Going flat rate. Um, 
But yeah. And you're you're doing some of that stuff now too, is the the, the high level diagnostic side of things too, right? Yeah, uh, I'm still his go to guy when he has uh, uh, vehicles, brand new vehicles especially that have issues. Um, he usually brings me the tickets. He's like, "Here, I know you can handle this. Come to me with the answer, and we'll get it taken care of." Um, like we just had. Uh, few weeks back we had a 22 lx with uh it was a door lock issue uh-huh doors would lock just fine unlock just fine with everything but the customer they have a an app everything has an app now but sure. they they had a they have an app that would tell them when their car was being unlocked or if something was unlocked or okay. windows down or anything like that well the customer kept getting a notification that his doors were unlocked and he was like, I looked and all my doors are locked still. There's nothing wrong, but it keeps giving me this notification. Well, come to find out, um, the, there's like a micro sensor in the door lock actuator uh-huh. that for some reason it wasn't contacting when you hit the lock button. But oh, if you open, if you open the door and leave the door open and you hit the lock button, it would on the data list, it would flip lock real quick. And then unlock again. Oh, okay. And we're like, okay. So it's got to be something with that micro sensor in there that's causing it to act up. Sure. And swapped it out and good to go. Nice. So, nice. Yeah. So I get I get to see the brand new stuff that's acting up too. So that's a lot of fun. Yeah. I had a, um, I had a Honda Pilot. It was not that new. I want to say it was like a 14 or something like that. But the the rear hatch it had a button on the handle on the outside. And when you hit that button, it wouldn't release the actuator to open the the hatch. You could open the glass, but you couldn't open the hatch. And mm-hmm. the shop had been through, they replaced the handle, they replaced the latch. Uh, I think they even replaced the fuse box, which is the BCM in yeah. that one. And it, that, that controls it and that didn't do it. So I was looking at it and it took me a while to sort through it, but it was a, it was actually the, passenger rear um like you say there was a switch not for door ajar all the doors showed closed but it was a switch to say whether the door um actuator was in a locked or unlocked position Mm -hmm. and that one on the data stream because you couldn't see it on the dash but on the data stream you could see lock versus unlock for all the four doors and the passenger rear showed unlock regardless of the fact that it actually was locked like the physical mechanism was moving and the door was locked it showed unlocked and it ended up being a a broken wire in the door jam for that particular switch that fixed it but it was just so weird like that's normal operation on that particular honda that it has to see all of the doors in was it the locked it must be the unlocked position that's that must be what it is. It must seem in the unlocked position in order for the rear hatch to open, and that one showed that one showed locked. I think that's what it was. But anyways, it was very strange that that because it doesn't like come out and say that anywhere in service information that I found or in the scan tool. There's no warning on the dash, but it, it won't let you work that handle until it sees all the doors are unlocked. It's really strange. Yeah, um, and there's a lot of times in service information, especially with like the. 21s, 22s, like you won't see mm-hmm. what you need to on there. It, it doesn't give you all the information that you need for uh, diagnosing it. What, you what's your approach 
on something brand new like that where you don't have necessarily service bulletins or you know uh a lot of times i uh since i am good with the electrical aspect of everything uh a lot of times i'll go straight to the wiring diagram um and figure out from there okay this is my sensor in this is my sensor signal out here's my power here's my ground okay figure out where these are located and start checking stuff out from there um because most of the time i can generally tell on a wiring diagram kind of where uh the voltage should be going or coming from and stuff like that uh to help me narrow it down at least sure yeah that's um that's a skill set to be able to read a diagram and have an understanding of how the system must work. <clears throat> and there's limitations there too. You know, you run into things where they don't, maybe it's a diagram where they don't show you like it, the wire goes to the module and then it's just the terminal number and they don't say anything like B plus or signal or ground yeah. or anything like that. So you're kind of guessing, but for a lot of stuff you can, you can make some, uh, some factual statements about this system has to work this way based on the power and ground that's going to this component. Yeah. Um, And that, that will help you out through a lot of situations. The, I think the toughest part is you can understand the circuit, but it's the computer strategy that sometimes is the mystery. Like, okay, well it gets this. I know this is a signal wire, but if it sees two volts on this wire, how is it going to react as opposed to if it sees 10 volts on this wire? Like what right. is the strategy in for this particular module? And that that's the part that sometimes I, you know, get hung up on and have to do some experimenting with some known goods or. Yeah. And um, that's, that's one of the things for working at a dealership, like known yeah, goods. Yeah. Well, currently 22s are like, as soon as they're off the truck, they're gone. But mm, okay. uh, generally, we'll have one or two uh, brand new cars that haven't been uh, PDI pre-delivery inspected, and I can grab one of those and be like, "Let me check this real quick." That's like, handy. While that you're doing handy. that, let me check this out. And so that is super helpful with these brand new cars. And yeah, because sure. the electronics on them is becoming more and more and more and more computers and. It's just so much electrical stuff with this. How much have you done with the smart key systems on those? Uh, not much with the like twenty ones, twenty twos. We haven't had a lot of issues with those. But even the older uh, ones, the like two thousand tens and stuff like that. I, I've had quite a bit um, replacing uh, the smart access ECU and the ID code box. Uh, okay. Uh, We've had a few cars, quite a few cars, where uh, uh, a locksmith would go and try and add a new key. Uh And after, like, I believe it's after, like, four tries of failure, it will actually lock the system out. Really? Yeah. And unfortunately, we've got no way of unlocking it. Uh, The only thing we can do is just replace it and redo it with a new system. When you say system, is that a particular module or? Yeah, so the smart access ECU and ID code box have to be replaced if oh. it gets. Yeah, it basically gets bricked, and we just have to replace the modules. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, um, 
Yeah, I um I, I've got my butt kicked a couple times with that system just because there's so much going on with I had a Highlander and I remember there's there's four modules involved with the system in order to get this thing to key up and start mm-hmm. and everything and I was yeah, I had actually been to a class on one and I had some information, but I still had to go through everything again to like visualize the process of, and you have the three different codes. What is it? An L code, an S, S code, code. And I believe the last one's a D code. Oh yeah. So, and yeah, and all this, SLD. all of this information is being transferred between these modules and some of it's on a bus and some of it's on a Lin bus and a oh, steering lock. Um, yep. ECU and all this yep. stuff. I mean, it's just, it's a lot to take in if you're not super familiar with those systems. Yeah. And even still like knowing which one gets the S code, which one gets the D code. Like it, it's, I don't even always remember which one is sending what, where. And cause yeah, you've got the ID code box, smart access ECU, the steering lock ECU, the ECM that are all communicating just to start this vehicle. Right, right. And, just, well, just oh, to key it up in some yeah. cases, you know. <laughs> and, and majority of our cars are push-button starts. We yeah. don't see, like, eh, I'd say 06. And later we we have uh, the key, uh, the actual shank, but majority of our stuff is push-button start. So Okay, okay. It, we actually, I actually had one. This is when I was still an hour late. It was a GX. Um, I want to say it was a 15 GX. Uh, a used car. Uh, sales guy was trying to sell it. And every time the, the he was trying to sell it, the car wouldn't start. Mm-hmm. And we're like, okay. So we get it back in the shop. And we check it out. And we're like, everything seems fine. Everything's working put it back on the on the sales floor and the guy tries selling it and the car won't start and so we're like okay well we're going to just start fresh we're going to replace the serial lock ecu the id code box and the smart access and it's like okay because <laughs> <laughs> boss told me to replace it all right so i replaced it all i put a new key in and everything and we're like okay this thing's good to go. There's no problems whatsoever. Sales guy again, like a week later, is like, hey, it won't start. We're like, okay, come out here with us. And we we go out there with him. And I send the car. And I started up like three times. I'm like, there's no problems. He gets in a car. He goes start it up. It doesn't start. We're like, take out. Do you have any keys on you? Any keys whatsoever? Mm-hmm. And he also drives a GX and somehow uh-huh. for some reason that vehicle kept recognizing his key and not okay. the actual key to the car. Huh. So every time he got in, it wouldn't start because it thought it was his key that it was reading. Interesting. Yeah, we couldn't so it, figure so it out. So it had the two keys and one must have just gotten priority as, hey, I'm here in the car over the other one, huh? Yeah, and it was always his key that took priority when he got in. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. It was weird. Yeah. We, we'd still, like, to this day, we're like, I don't know what it was thinking or how it thought, yeah. hey, this is the key I'm looking at, not that key. And 
Right, because it because it, it has the low frequency antennas that mm-hmm. that reach out to the key to say, you know, hey, where are you, and do you belong to the car? So that one must have just been responding Quicker, a maybe. second faster or something, <laughs> right? We're like, okay, from now on, leave your keys like in your office or something. Don't don't get in a car with your key, <laughs> so you'll That's be funny. you won't have this issue. Yeah. Well, that, you know, you run into weird stuff like that. Where you got to kind of think outside the box because that's not a that's not a normal problem. No, um, no, it's not. Uh, OK, here's one. I've got a uh, it's a 14. It's a Lexus. What's the model? It's a I'm blanking on this now. I want to say it's a is it RC. Is that one of the uh, sporty style looking? One? Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's like the F F sport F sport. Yeah. Okay. So 14 and the guy replaced the ECM. Um, and then he called me to program the used one with that, that he put in and I came and I made sure that he actually had the right ECM. I managed the part number and everything. And it did come out of the same Lexus, just the uh, same year, same model and everything uh-huh. part number matched. So we put it in and I was going to do the anti-theft, um, handshake where you just do four and 13. Yeah. Um, I, I do 45 minutes. I know the service okay. info says 30, 30 some of them are 35. Uh, I just do 45 yeah. minutes. So I don't yeah. have to mess I've, around. I've done 30 before and right at 30 minutes, it will, I, I'll unplug and do it and I'll have to redo it because 30 minutes just wasn't enough. Even though it says do it for at least 30 minutes. So uh-huh. yeah, I always do 45. Okay. So I did that and I, you know, took everything off and it still gave me the twenty seven ninety nine in the ECM. And I was like, okay, well, let me do this one more time. So I waited another and waiting 45 minutes twice is that's a, that's a decent chunk of my day. Right. And I got the same result out of it that time. And I just told the guy, I was like, I, I don't have time for this right now, but I'll come back. And I haven't yet. That's on my list of things. I might get back to it this week or next. It's not a, it's not a rush job. The guy bought the car and he's just trying to get it back together and good to go. Um, and so I've got to go back and kind of construct a plan on how I'm going to approach this. But there was no other codes in any of the like smart key related system or, you know, modules that I could see. And it did recognize the key and it keys up. So it's, yeah. it's that key bolt. I would assume belongs to that vehicle because um, he bought this, I think, at an auction or something, which obviously there's all kinds of interesting things that can happen that way. But um, what would be your approach? I'm just curious if you had a scenario like this, what, what's coming to your mind um, right now? What is the code again? Uh, it's a B2799. I think it's that's in the engine control module saying that there's an immobilizer fault or an immobilizer mismatch. Uh, mobilizer mismatch. Because um, I know I've done used ECMs on that year of Lexus Toyota before just by, and I was actually, I was able to write the VIN, but that the VIN shouldn't prevent it, you know, it no. shouldn't keep that B code from popping up. It's that, it's always been that, the anti-theft handshake. Yeah. Um, I don't mean to put you on the spot. I, just oh, cur- I was just curious what your thought process would be. Well, yeah, normally it would be ECM, handshake, and I don't even remember if I actually check the code for the mismatch at first, or if I actually go through and I believe what I normally do is I will do 
the handshake. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I'm done with the handshake, I'll go in to Smart Access and do the uh, Steering Lock ID code box uh, handshake uh, through the utility. Um, I don't even know if I actually, I don't think I usually check for that code. Okay. After I do the handshake, I think I automatically just do the other handshake. Um, so, so there's an additional one that I need to do if replacing a yeah. ECM. Yeah, oh. I believe you have to do. You'll have to do the uh, ID code box to uh, steering lock ECU handshake as well. It should be under the utility portion of it. Okay, all right. Um, I'll check for that for sure. Then, yeah, double check on that because because uh, that's what we normally do is we'll do the thirty minute handshake. Well, 45. And then we'll go in and we'll do that handshake, and that kind of links everything up finally. Okay. Um, All right. All right. Well, I'll give that a shot then. Let me know what you find out with that, too. Yeah, maybe when I'm actually at the vehicle, I'd be able to give uh, more specific information, too, on that. But uh, Yeah, and I'll actually use uh, uh, get on our uh, our program and see see if there's something that I, I might be missing. Sure. Well, that's the thing is there's so many different like years and models and there could be something weird about this particular vehicle that you're not familiar with. Yeah. Um, Especially like just anything in general, like with these cars, like you can change from one year to the next and all of a sudden, oh, uh, like for instance, ADAS um, Mm -hmm. doing calibrations, you can switch from one year to the next and one year you have to have the headlights off. The next year the headlights have to be on, and <laughs> yeah, you don't read the little note there because you're like, "Oh, I've done this plenty of times," and it keeps failing until you read that little note. And you're uh-huh. like, "Oh, really? Why yep. do we do that?" Yep. Well, <laughs> I remember that even with something as simple as like resetting an oil maintenance light. You know, back in the day, I did a lot of oil changes. Yeah. And it seemed like every single year they changed their method of how you reset the the maintenance light. It was same idea, you know, you're using the button on the dash, but for this model, you have to have it on trip A when you key it up. For this model, you have to have it on the odometer when you key it up. And it's like the yeah. same car, just they change it every right. single year. What was it? Uh, 2016 LS460. Only year where you have to, when you reset the maintenance light, you have to use trip A and then go back in and use trip B. Okay. <laughs> Why? I don't know. It was literally the only year and only model that does that. All the others is like odometer or trip A, like you said, but that's the one year that it's like, we're going to do trip B also. I think the, was it the Prius that was really goofy too? Uh, there was something completely different that you had to do. I don't remember. It's been a long time, but I remember having to take like an extra step or read something for a Prius to reset that maintenance light. But oh, I'm sure. I suppose you don't <laughs> see too many of those. <laughs> no, I don't. Not okay. too many. But. Yeah. Oh, it's, you know, it's interesting. I have a lot of Toyota technicians that have reached out to me or even been on the show as compared to other manufacturers. Like I talked to a lot of independent technicians, but I seem to interact with a lot of Toyota, Lexus uh, technicians as well. I actually have another guy who's going to be on the show in the near future who works at a Toyota dealership out in California, but uh, I don't, I don't know what the the correlation is there. You guys must just really be uh, into being the best. Yeah. Yeah. That's part of the reason why I'm glad I got into Lexus. uh, Cause of course it's their luxury cars. They're not German cars. I absolutely hate Volkswagens. 
<laughs> they're, they're, yeah. Those are a pain to work on, and at least Lexus, it, it, they can be a pain. But for the most part, they're pretty reliable mm-hmm. vehicles. The service information for them, you can find uh, we got a lot of information for that stuff, and yeah, um, they're just nice cars to drive. Uh, I like uh, that's one of the nice things to working at a dealership. Getting uh, have you seen the uh, LC five hundred? Uh, no, I haven't. Oh, uh, you should look it up sometime. Um, I'll I'll do it while we're talking. <laughs> okay, it's <laughs> so, uh, this thing's like phenomenal to drive. It is. Oh, like, okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that looks like a car you'd see in like the Avengers or something. Uh, actually, uh, Black driving. Panther. Oh, really? <laughs> it was a car they used in Black Panther when okay, he's riding sure. on top of the hood. Gotcha. It's that. Well, the hood uh, looks massive on this thing. It's a uh, for <laughs> oh, everybody it listening. It's a uh, it's a very very uh, supercar looking uh, coupe um, with a yeah. It's got a huge grill on it. What's the so it's a five liter V eight in that with four hundred and seventy one horsepower. That's the twenty two model. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Those are so yeah, fun. that'd be fun to test drive. Yeah, yeah. So I get one of those to uh, do a pre delivery inspection on, and I'm like, you know what? This thing's a hundred thousand dollar plus car. I'll never buy it, but hey, I can drive it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a, it's always. Uh, that's always fun when you get something really interesting to go test drive. Um, I've had those over the years. So maybe some classic cars. Those are fun. Um, but even something like something just strange or odd. Uh, we used to do the post office trucks and I'd have to mm-hmm. test drive those and they're, um, they're right hand drive. And so driving down the road in a vehicle when you're sitting on the wrong side of the car is very interesting. It, it takes a moment to sort of center yourself and be like, okay, all right, I get this. Um, during some RVs, which I've never owned an RV, but driving something that big is definitely a, an interesting feeling. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm used to smaller cars. I, I've got a Mazda now. I had a Civic before. And yeah. The first time I got into like the LX, uh, which is the bigger SUV, I got in it and I'm like, I feel like I'm in a bus. <laughs> this feels so weird. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> definitely. Um, yeah. I don't think. There's not a whole lot of other people outside of what we do in the automotive industry that would get to experience so many different vehicles on a regular basis, right? Like you get to see, especially at a dealership, you get to see all these new models and everything that's in there. Like you get a feeling for, okay, this is the trend in the automotive world that they're putting into vehicles. You get to see stuff. I mean, I remember when the push button start stuff was brand new. Yeah. That was that was so interesting to hop in a vehicle and there's no key to turn. You press right. a button. Um, or the first car that I hopped into that had um, the AC cooled heat uh, seats, right? Where you could mm-hmm. turn on the AC and there's a there's a fan in the seat blowing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> just w- w- the first time you experience stuff like that is it's pretty cool. It is, and actually speaking of those uh, AC seats, I remember. Uh, so at one point, the fans would blow outwards for when they first started having those. And then they had one year, I want to say it was like 16, 17, maybe. They switched it where instead of blowing air out, it sucked air in. So, <laughs> And it was the weirdest thing because customers were complaining. They're like, this isn't working right. Yeah, And we had to show them that like the um, – 
the plastic cover over the seat. We had to show them, okay, we turn it on. You see how it sucks it in? That's working. They just okay. switched it up for some reason, so it sucks hot air down, I guess, to give you cold air blowing past you compared mm. to blowing air up at you. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. It was, it's weird. I don't know why they do it. <laughs> Engineers. <laughs> right, right. But, uh, yeah, no, um, but honestly, like, working at a dealership, besides, like, seeing all the new stuff, I, I just had a 95 ES that I had to deal with. Um, which we don't see too many models past 2000. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had like three in one week that came through. Uh, and seeing those, those are really difficult because uh, most people don't know, most of the guys here don't know, don't remember those vehicles or how how to right. diagnose them because they're just, they might have been switched over to OBD2. Like okay. I actually had to use a, a aftermarket OBD2 scanner to diagnose it because it didn't even have like our our tech stream wouldn't work for it. Oh, our wow. OE okay. scanner wouldn't work for <laughs> it. It just it would just be like retrieving information and just like freeze up on us. <laughs> so so it's nice to be able to get like brand new stuff all the way back to like early two thousands and. Stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but well, isn't that interesting how something old can be, you know, more challenging? You'd think a lot of the time, oh, the, you know, the brand new stuff with all the new technology, it's really complex. But sometimes that, yeah, 95 or a 93 vehicle is like, wow, okay, how am I going to approach this? Yeah. Um, I don't have bi directional tests. Maybe, maybe depending on the car, I don't even have scan data uh, on particular things in OBD1. What is my? I have to completely change my thought process in tackling this problem. Yeah, and that was a big, uh, big thing. Was okay. How? Let me see if I can pull a code because there was a check engine light on, but it was more so like, okay, what process do I need to take? Uh, I can't depend on my tech stream and bidirectional controls to help me out with this. How can I go around it to? diagnose this mm-hmm. uh and i ended up the guy needing unfortunately the guy needed a transmission okay uh, because he had i don't know why he did this but he had used his car to push another car into his garage oh no <laughs> yeah and then he was like yeah afterwards alexis no less <laughs> <laughs> yeah and afterwards he was like i don't know what happened it's not working right anymore it's just not picking up and going and and of course, his speedometer is not working. There's other issues with the car. He had duct taped his like uh, the tube from the mass airflow and airbox <laughs> into the throttle body was like duct taped together. And I'm like, oh boy, oh wow, buddy, this is <laughs> this is gonna be a process here. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's it, it's fun working at the dealership and uh, seeing everything coming in new and. We still get, I just came back from Chicago for a new model training. So I got to talk and see about the newest NX models coming out uh, because they have the hybrid electric NX 450H plus now. Okay. So it's got an electric battery that will run 36 miles per gallon uh, per, per charge. Okay. And then once that's depleted, it goes to a hybrid mode. Mm, okay. It, 
it's weird. So, like, you can do in-city driving all week, never use gas, and then decide you want to go out of town and um, and be able to just take your car and go instead of having, like, a Tesla where you have to plan right. charging points or yeah. have a second vehicle to drive out of town. So, I was driving yesterday, actually, and... I was I was with somebody and we saw a Tesla and it had Hawaii plates on it, which I questioned whether that was accurate or not, but I'm in Minnesota. Right. So, uh, you <laughs> right. know, we don't see too many Hawaii plates in general, but we saw a Tesla. I was like, well, okay, you know, they must've had to have ferried it over if it's actually from Hawaii. But then I was like driving to Minnesota from the coast. That's a long drive. Um, right. I've, I've made that drive. It's like 30, 32 hours <sighs> from the coast to here in Minnesota. And there's a, large stretch of places in the u.s where are you going to have an electric charging station i mean maybe nowadays there's more options but you'd really have to like plan that out before you just decide to head out on a road trip with one of those where you wouldn't necessarily have to with a hybrid i I think the hybrid is the 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 better answer at least for the short term you know they're talking like we're going to go all electric and no gas and it just i think the combination of the two really makes a lot more sense for versatility and not, you know, killing the power grid (laughs) the way that (laughs) every single car being electric would, you know? Right. And also the fact that like how many charging stations would have to be put up everywhere and who, Mm -hmm. who's going to pay for it? Who's going to pay for those charging stations everywhere? Like that's, that's, I'll see that happening. Well, it's not anytime soon. Yeah. It's not as, it's not as simple as, it, it seems to like a, a lot of customers and no fault of their own, you know, they're not in this stuff like we are, but I talk to a lot of people who just own vehicles. You're like, yeah, we're going to switch to electric vehicles. And like, it's all just going to happen like that. And the other thing I tell people, I'm like, that are considering buying an electric vehicle. I'm like, well, if you have a repair shop, a facility that you go to and you like, you should probably make sure that they can service your vehicle after it's out of warranty, right? And if you want to continue to go to, you know, you know, X shop up the road, do they even work on electric fields? Are they going to be able to help you out with, you know, certain things and, and things like that? So there's, there's so much consideration to go into it. And I think it is the future eventually, but the, the hybrid model sure makes a lot more sense to me. Yeah, it really does. It, it gives the versatility, like you said, and, um, you you get better gas mileage and sure yeah and, and less emissions and all that mm-hmm. jazz mm-hmm. without having to worry about where am I going to charge my car yeah exactly and how long will it take to charge my car exactly well that's yeah that's the other thing which I'm sure they'll figure out um and there are some impressive chargers out there right now yeah. and, and methods but still it's it's a time consuming process you got to kind of plan out for um. But even the hybrid thing does make them more complex. I mean, the I, I'm not a hybrid expert by any means, but I've definitely serviced quite a few as they're becoming more and more popular. But it adds a whole another level of thinking that you've got to have as a technician going into it for the safety aspect, but then also just components that we're not familiar with, like, you know, DC to AC converters or, yeah. you know, DC yeah. to DC converters and uh, all these other uh, things that you've now got added onto the vehicle that you got to learn. But I don't know. I, I think that's a good thing for technicians because it's another skill set for you to learn and to be valuable in that not everybody's going to have. So you can oh, I agree. charge and, and, appropriately for it. Yeah. And like, so I, 
mentor, one of the kids, uh, one of the guys that are, uh, are in, is in school right now. And we were actually doing, uh, a recover, a recovery charge on the hybrid system of, a uh, CT. And like the hybrid battery was completely depleted. So, um, we get pulled in and everything. And he, he was like, is this, is this dangerous? And I'm like, yeah, if you don't know what you're doing, it can be. <laughs> you can you can definitely kill yourself doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, and honestly, like this is one of the things. Like I'm certified, I know how to do this, but until like I put my socket and wrench on that first bolt to start taking stuff off, <laughs> like it's it's like a butt pucker. It's like, oh gosh, <laughs> am I going to shock myself or not? As soon as that socket touches, I'm like. Okay, it's just nuts and bolts now. But before that, it's it's kind of scary a little bit, even yeah. knowing what I'm doing and even waiting the time frames to be able to test, make sure all the capacitors have depleted and everything. I'm just like, if I mess up or if something goes haywire beforehand that I don't notice, like, yeah, it could be a little dangerous. But just do the process and uh, test uh-huh. everything and test everything twice even. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. If you know what to test and what to check for, it is completely safe, but you still have that in the back of your mind. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that, that makes you cautious and it makes you more aware having that heightened sense going, okay. Yeah. Uh, it, it's much worse if you don't have that. If you just yeah. sort of, uh, you know, oh, Go okay, whatever, it. this is no big deal. That's, that's where you're going to get into trouble. So exactly. it, it, overly cautious is a good thing with something like that. Yeah, and, and it was kind of funny because uh, the the guy I'm mentoring he's he's fresh he's he's, he's only worked with us for about three weeks now uh, came from working HVAC but no previous automotive experience and stuff and we're talking and whatnot and he was like so what what's what's the hardest thing that to do on a car and I was like diagnosing diagnosing is the hardest thing. Everything else is nuts and bolts. Mm-hmm. He was like, "Really?" I'm like, yeah, "Yeah, you can, you can take everything apart on this car, and it won't be a big deal. But figuring out what's wrong—that's going to be your biggest problem. If you don't know what you're doing, or even if you do know what you're doing, you can get your butt kicked and get stuck on a car for a while." Oh man, I, I'll tell you though, I have had some nuts and bolts that would uh, would challenge that <laughs> statement a little bit. <laughs> there are there are certain uh, components and certain nuts and bolts that have definitely I, I would take a I would take a diag over those any days. But yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying. You know, once you figure out the nuts and bolts of it, that's that's all it is. Is okay. Yeah. We take this apart, we put it back together, which I think is kind of why I got. I got bored essentially with just the regular everyday. Okay, we'll put a engine in this. We'll put a transmission in this. We'll fix this water pump, and it just kind of got to be almost like I could do it on autopilot, right? Yeah. I've always said if I can listen to a podcast or something like an audio book and absorb information and still do something else, like the dishes or clean my house or something, that's a like a lower level (laughs) task in my brain because I don't have to apply thought to it. But for diagnosing, I can't do that. I can't diagnose something and absorb information at the same time. Like I have to be really focused in my brain when I'm going through it. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, 
Yeah, like, usually when I go to diagnose, that's when I'm like, okay, earpods out, I'm going Uh to, I'm going, I got to focus on this because it's going to distract me. Yeah, Um, but if I'm doing a water pump or something like that, uh, I can can completely be engrossed in what I'm listening to, and it's, it's just, it was from experience, right? It's just, I've done it so many times that my, my hands and stuff just kind of do their thing. It's like muscle memory. Exactly. It's, it's a very, very strange thing. Um, it's one of those reasons why for during COVID was like, we have to teach this stuff to the students in person. They have to do it because that's the only way that they learn. It's a muscle memory. It's a hands-on thing. It doesn't work. It doesn't work online. They've got to physically do it. (laughs) Yeah. The whole, like online, this online, everything is like, uh, yeah, uh, we were actually, um, at my training center this past week, they were talking about that because they send out uh modules online for us to learn the new stuff and whatnot and they're like okay so do you prefer the online modules or the in-person instructor training and like everyone 100 was like we need the instructor training like we want to touch these vehicles mm-hmm. like that's that's going to be our best way to learn this stuff is to be able to put our hands on it mess around with it figure out what issues are happening and even like just the connectivity from like, it's not just my dealership there. We had guys from uh, other, other dealerships, other States that they had questions I didn't think of. I had questions they didn't think of. And now we're all finding out the answers to all those questions together and learning a lot more about these vehicles than, okay, watch this module online. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. Yeah, you only absorb so much out of that. It's nice to have the option, the flexibility, but um, yeah, it's it's easy to get distracted and disengaged watching something online too. I found that it's like yeah. if I'm sitting at home and I start something up, oh well, I could be responding to a message on Facebook at the same time, and then you're you're just not you're not taking it in as much as you would if you were sitting in front of somebody talking in a classroom. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, I've definitely enjoyed all the stuff that's been back in person. Hopefully it uh, continues that way. Yeah. You go into any, or have you been to any aftermarket training events that I, you planned? I have not, but listening to your podcast, um, I would love to make it to either Vision or Super Saturday sometime. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll, we'll see if the cards are in it for me because uh, young family and uh, – wife works full time and she's a nurse so she's yeah busy busier. she's busier uh-huh. than i am so <laughs> yeah uh, so yeah we'll we'll see if it happens in the future but okay. uh i hope to sometime be able to go go to one of those and um, yeah well do you know uh pj walter uh yeah he's actually on one of my facebook groups oh cool yeah he um he works for toyota yep. a technician there and he does He's a big proponent of that is that aftermarket training can be beneficial to a dealership technician. Um, yeah, even definitely. If just focused on one brand. It's just another, uh, another perspective uh, to the automotive world that, you know, you're seeing it from a different, different view than you would yeah. the dealership side of things. And so and, it can be advantageous. And like, yeah, even though we're in a dealership, we get used cars that are mm-hmm. Lexus vehicles and we do have a designated used car guy who takes care of it, but Hey, mm-hmm. he gets backed up. He goes on vacation. 
Sure. Somebody's got to mess with these other cars and yep. it, Jeeps. And I think we had a, uh, one guy was, uh, working on a Maserati. Um, dang. Just a week ago. Yeah. We, uh, <laughs> that's one of the, uh, listening to your podcast, like doing the mobile stuff and whatnot, hearing about how, what it's like in your area, like our area where my dealership is, uh, we consider it like, dealership road because it is literally dealership after dealership from Porsche to Jag, Nissan, Ford, like just like, I want to say it's like maybe two or three miles of nothing but dealerships. Wow. Okay. It is insane. The amount of dealerships are there. So uh, (laughs) doing a mobile thing, it's kind of for my area, that'd be a little difficult just because of you got, all these dealerships right next to each other and the collision centers that are right next to them. So they're like, yeah, I can just call them and they can walk over and do it. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. A little different depending on where you're at. For sure. Yeah. But, uh, always probably plenty of job opportunities there. I would imagine. Oh yes, definitely. I've seen guys come and go and, um, a lot of times they, they just go to the, dealership right next door for just a couple box over next door <laughs> yep it's just like i had one guy he so we have uh audi directly behind us like so we have our main road and then the road we turn on to to get to our dealership like you have our dealership you have audi and then land rover jag and volvo all behind us so okay. it's literally like if he wanted to he literally rolled his toolbox to the next to the next dealership right behind us because we share the same parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. It's crazy how, how packed they've put all those dealerships together. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we have, um, as they go down closer to the cities, actually by the college, there's a section of road that's like that where it's just, it's, it's a minor highway, but it is just a stretch of every single dealership you can yeah. imagine within a couple miles. Um, and a lot of our students go there because uh, there's lots of opportunity for work and they're close enough to the college. So they come over and they're on our advisory committee and they'll come in and give, you know, bring lunch for the students and bring some fancy new car and wrap <laughs> it up in the parking lot and whatever. But you know, um, I, I'd like the students to see all of the opportunities out there um what's available and dealerships right for some people it's not for others but there's options no matter which direction you want to go out there yeah and i think a big part of that though too is like dealership kind of worked out for me because i i think it's more so who my bosses are Mm -hmm. and oh yeah like they saw my dedication saw that yeah i'm older than everyone else in my class uh but i'm the guy who if there's no work, I'm not on my phone. I was going to the older techs, um, specifically two guys uh, uh, named Ron and Pat. Ron's been there for 45 years. Guy is well into needing to retire. <laughs> he is done. Um, but uh, I would go to those two guys because they knew their stuff. And as an hourly, I'd go over and go, hey, can I, uh, can I hold something for you? What are you doing? Let me... Let me learn something. Mm-hmm. And my bosses saw, saw that and they're like, you're going to be a good investment. So we are going to invest in you as much as we can for what you want, make you happy so that you can turn hours for us, make us money. 
and it kind of worked out. I I think if it was any different, if it was different people who were in those spots, um, I don't think I'd be in the spot I I'm in now if it wasn't for them. So that's awesome. Yeah, that's good advice for anybody to starting out. It's just you know be ambitious and be helpful and try to get involved as much as you can. And right now, uh, if you if you're at a decent shop, they're going to recognize that and and make sure that you are compensated and stick around correctly. And if you're at a place and you're doing those things and you're not being recognized, roll that toolbox over because right. there's plenty of shops that will for exactly. sure. Exactly. And I've told I've told guys at the community college that I went to. I went back to visit my old instructor and he was teaching classes and they're like, Hey, so I have this going on. My general manager is wanting me to quit or doing this or that. And I always look at him and I go, if they want you to quit doing your schooling to go just turn hours for them, you need to find a different job Mm -hmm. because they're just seeing you as another number, another paycheck. You're not an investment. Find a job where you, uh, where your bosses see you as an investment, as a person who can improve if they give you the opportunity to. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. That's, um, you, you've got some leverage as a technician in this field right now, so you might as well use it. But you got, I mean, you got to bring your A game. You got to be helpful, ambitious and all that stuff too. But if you yeah. can do that, you got some serious leverage and make sure that you're, make sure you're being treated right. Um, and you know, go find another place if you're not. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's that's it. So, yeah. Cool, man. Um, well, thank you for spending your time with me this morning. I really appreciate it. It was nice to meet you. You too. And thank you for having me. All right. One more big thank you to John for coming on the show today. Really appreciate it. And I'd also like to thank everybody who's been listening to the show giving feedback about the show and uh, all of you that have reached out to me to come on a show. So uh, once again, if that's you, you're passionate about this industry, you love what you do, you're interested in this stuff, shoot me a message. We'll, uh, we'll talk. We'll get you on the show. So other than that, let's all get out there, start fixing the world one car at a time.